Welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast, episode 15, Bulgaria. My name is Bobby, and joining me as always is David. So it's been a little while since we've covered a country from Europe. Way back in episode 3, we profiled Austria. Now there's a lot to cover with Bulgaria, so we'll just get right into it. David, I feel I know the answer, but what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think Bulgaria? I feel like this is kind of embarrassing, but I think of like the Quidditch World Cup team, you know, from mm-hmm. from Harry Potter. If you played the video game back in the day, they were also like the last team you unlocked and they were OP and Victor Crumb. That's what I think of. Yeah, uh, I think I speak for a lot of people around our age that Harry Potter was a big part of our lives growing up. And for many, uh, I know for myself, Victor Crumb was the first that we heard about Bulgaria. And canonically, he did win the Quidditch World Cup after they finished second in the books. Yeah, he loses fourth year to the Irish, at, right? And he, he like suicide catches and it, to end the game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then he, but he gets it. He gets it. Yeah. And you think he came out of retirement. The kind of stuff <laughs> we look up for research here. <laughs> no one asked for that, but, you know. Uh-huh. But you're happy you know. Anyway, we like to start off these country episodes with a little background before we get into the sports. So in terms of location, Bulgaria is in the southeast part of Europe on the Balkan Peninsula. Romania is the neighbors to the north, Serbia and North Macedonia to the west, Greece and Turkey are to the south, and then the Black Sea is to the east. Uh, I've got a satellite map pulled up for you, David. And what do you see there? Um, I guess the way that it's laid out, there's, I guess, either one very oddly shaped mountain range or two mountain ranges. And it looks like there's a little bit of everything in terms of uh, elevation. Yeah. So Bulgaria has two main mountain ranges. So you have the Balkan Mountains. They run from west to east. They kind of cut the country in half. But then you have the Radapi Mountains, and they take up a lot of the southwest. So pretty mountainous there in the whole west part of the country. And then to the east, it gets lower in elevation as you get to the Black Sea. But at the intersection of those two mountain ranges, you have this valley, and that's where the capital Sofia is located. And you're kind of right, too. There's a lot of topographical ranges, a lot of climate ranges, too. So you got like temperate to cold, I guess you would describe it pretty similar to like Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York state in the United States. So you get tons of snow in the winter potentially, but then in the summer it can still get kind of hot. Yeah. Um, all about that. I feel like yeah, I, it does get hot up north. I, it gets hot everywhere now. I think global warming is kind of hitting everyone <laughs> equally hard. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of like the cold, to be honest. So, I, you know, maybe maybe move out there one day. Yeah. Um, the cool thing, though. Bulgaria is actually pretty small. You wouldn't tell when you're looking at it because all of Europe, everything's kind of small looking. But because the Black Sea on the east part of the country, it gets pretty warm there. It's like coastal beach resorts. When you look at the size, 110,000 square kilometers, it's smaller than England and it's smaller than our home state, North Carolina. So you got beaches and mountains kind of like here. True. We're like sister states. Okay, let's talk people, though. You want to give a guess on the population? Oh, goodness. All right. So it's smaller than North Carolina. Um, I'm going to guess, I don't know, sub 10. I'm going to guess seven. Seven? Dude, you're really close. Just under 7 million. I think 6.8 is where they're currently at. But unfortunately, their population has been declining for the past 30 years. So around 1990, they're around 9 million people. But due to low birth rates, a lot of the young people in the country, like young adults moving out of the country, there was a big economic recession right after you know communism kind of fell. And yeah, it just continues to decline and it doesn't look like it's going to rectify itself anywhere soon. They're projecting it could get below 5 million in the next 30 years. 
That's crazy. I feel like, yeah, anytime you have like e-immigration, that's tough. And I, and I understand, you know, why there's a lot of opportunities other places. And when you're young, you kind of want to go and do crazy things. Um, I assume they're kind of, they, they're probably up there with Japan in terms of like the, the population outlook in the future. I think Japan might be a little worse just because they're like average age is re- like in the 50s or 60s, which is crazy. But yeah, I don't know how you fix that. Yeah, I think just opportunity, trying to hope. Like the people already living there have more babies. Uh, but then you got to <laughs> hope people come into the country, take up jobs. Uh, so that's just a matter of having opportunity. I did read some things. It seems like a lot of people also are leaving the countryside and moving into cities, which, uh, you know, again, makes sense for opportunity's sake. But it is unfortunate that there's probably a lot of dying villages in Bulgaria. Yeah, I hope that they last and stay around and the history's you know, still rich in those areas. Um, I think anytime you have economic hardships, it's just tough for everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about who these people are, though. Around 85% are ethnically Bulgarian. But there's notable minorities, including Turks and the Romani or Roma people. So Romani people does not equal Romanian. Uh, They are a separate ethnicity. Us in the Western part of the world, gypsies, that's the Romani people. Now, history is a lot we could mention with Bulgaria. I went down so many rabbit holes with this. You got the Byzantine Empire, the Mongol Empire, Ottoman Empire, all part of this. But we'll keep it brief. You ready? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So Russia and the Ottomans, they were at war in the 1870s. Russia would win the war with the help of Bulgarians. So March 3rd, 1878, that is the National Liberation Day when Bulgaria would be liberated from Ottoman rule. Now things get really messy after that. You know, Bulgaria was involved in the Balkan Wars and they had pretty notable roles in World War I and World War II. But after World War II, the Bulgarian monarchy would fall, Communist Party takes over, and then decades of Soviet influence ensue. That all ends around 1990. Bulgaria would struggle under a new government for a little while, which is when population declined. But conditions have improved since then. Bulgaria is now part of NATO, and they're part of the European Union. Ta-da! The end. Yeah, that's a lot. Knowing their geographical location, you expect a lot of stuff to be happening. There's, uh, over the mm. last, you know, 500 years, there's just been a lot of action, you know, <laughs> in that in that area. So... Yeah, I was like looking at I was looking into this earlier, too, and went kind of fascist and then kind of socialist communist almost. And then back and a lot lot of crazy stuff happening, a lot of of government changes. Yeah, that's why I just said it just gets messy and you don't need to know all that to know about the sports. You just mainly it's the Soviet influence that comes up again. I forgot to mention Bulgarian is the official language and also the Cyrillic alphabet. They use that. It was developed in medieval Bulgaria. We associate it with Russia because they like use it the most, but Bulgaria, they invented it. Yeah, I've heard that that's like fighting words to say that, you know, <laughs> Bulgarians use the Russian alphabet. The more you know, stay safe out there when you're you know, generalizing <laughs> <laughs> groups of people. <laughs> Go visit Bulgaria. We haven't visited, but um, it seems like it's a pretty cheap place and like a not heavily touristed area, um, especially like the Black Sea coast. Anyway. Let's move into sports. We mentioned those decades of Soviet influence, and we're going to start off with the Olympics. We usually do that last, but Olympics is a big part of Bulgaria's sporting history. They won a ton of Olympic medals, 224 in the Summer Games and six in the Winter Games. Uh, They won their first medal in 1952, and they would have more and more uh, athletes participate after that, and they would continually get more and more success. They would peak 
in the 70s and 80s. They were routinely finishing in the top 10 in the medal count around those times. And in Moscow, 1980, third, because, you know, a lot of countries were protesting those games, but they finished third, most medals. Now, David, are you at all familiar with how the Soviet Union and East Germany performed at the Olympics during this era? Uh, from what I understand, and I don't have like a great history in this stuff, but uh, I, Soviet Union and East Germany were stupid good. Yeah. Whenever you're like thinking about who has the most medals, like overall, you have to think about Germany because East Germany for that period, short period of time that they existed, were killing it. And, you know, arguably we're doping, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, so I know that they put up some stupid numbers in that time. Especially for East Germany's population size. I mean, Soviet Union, you have a ton of people to pull from. East Germany, not nearly as much. But yeah, to go into this, the Olympics were an amateur sporting event at the time. It wasn't until, I think, the 1988 Olympics where professional athletes were allowed to participate. And even then, I think it was done on a sport-by-sport basis, which I believe still continues to this day. Now, the reason this is relevant is because many nations in the Eastern Bloc would have their athletes train full-time, but would have government-sponsored jobs. So, yeah, a lot of people are going to recall the Soviet Union and East Germany from the 70s, 80s being that dominant sides. But Bulgaria was right there, too, finishing in the top 10 in medal counts. That's kind of crazy, you know, having basically your job be training. I mean, at that point, you know, you best be good. Yeah, it's a, a different lifestyle, to be sure. And I should mention that since 1990, Bulgaria's Olympic success has gradually tapered off, though they still come away with a handful of medals each go. Which I mean, when some countries are hopeful to just win a medal or they haven't even won one yet, Bulgaria is still coming away with some. It's just not nearly at the magnitude of the 70s and 80s. Now, with over 200 medals, Bulgaria has seen a lot of success in some different sports. We've got combat sports, shooting sports, canoeing, rowing, gymnastics. But the big two that they're known for are wrestling and weightlifting. Now, a lot of notable athletes that we could mention here, I've sifted through as best as I could, and I'm going to share with you the ones that I found most noteworthy. Armin Nazarian. He was actually not born in Bulgaria. David, can you guess where Armin was born? Just look at the first name. I feel like it's Armenia, and if it's not that, then you just, you know, tricked me. Yeah, it is Armenia. Uh, He was a Greco-Roman wrestler, He initially represented Armenia internationally, but then he gained Bulgarian citizenship and represented them. So he was a three-time world champion, six-time European champion, and he won two gold medals at the Olympics, one with Armenia in 96 and one with Bulgaria in 2000. And not many people have won a medal for two different countries. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy. Can you even, are you allowed to compete for multiple countries now? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I believe you still are. So he switched nationality. I didn't find the full story on it, but my understanding is that so he won the first ever medal for Armenia, either the first medal or first gold or maybe both. But due to like lack of infrastructure for wrestling and funding for the sport, I think he left Armenia. He I'm sure there was more going on there than just lack of funds, but uh, I don't think he had any ties to Bulgaria beforehand. I believe his girlfriend was living there, and that's kind of why he chose it. I I guarantee that there is more going on there than just money. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't think Bulgaria's like pedigree hurt the situation, you know, being like a you know successful and I imagine it's very tough to well, it's it's tough, you know, just because of the way the Olympics are spaced out every four years to be relevant for let's say eight years. So that's an accomplishment of itself, but to uh, to medal is insane and to two countries. So 
Another cool one, uh, Stanka Zlateva. She was also a wrestler, a bit more recent. She had two Olympic silvers in freestyle wrestling. So while she never won gold there, she was a five-time world champion and six-time European champion. And she was apparently offered over a million dollars to switch allegiances for the 2012 Olympics. Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Uzbekistan all had offers turned down by Zlateva. She said she would only wrestle for Bulgaria. They're getting crazy that millions of dollars being offered to someone to represent them in the Olympics. I didn't know this was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder how normal it is for smaller countries where it's like, okay, I can probably get someone, you know, throw a few million dollars and just, you know, okay, you just compete for us. And I wonder how how normal it is now, which I mean, 2012, fairly recent, 10 years ago. So I I would love to know. I'm sure you there's it would be very difficult to find out, but I would I would love to know how normal that is. Yeah. So the the article I found, it was in the Cyrillic alphabet, but thankfully Google can translate that for me. (laughs) Apparently, Uzbekistan also made an offer to Grigor Dimitrov, the tennis player, to switch allegiances to. Uzbekistan, they be uh, the Uzbeks. They they be, they be killing it. Looks like they're uh, got got money to spare for their <laughs> Olympic hopes and dreams. Good on Grigor and uh, Stanka for staying with their country. And it seems like there's a lot of pride in being Bulgarian. That seems to have come up multiple times when doing the research here. A lot of people have pride for their country, and Bulgaria that seems to just be imbued everywhere that I've looked. So the last wrestler that I want to mention is Valentin Yordanov. He was a freestyle wrestler, seven world, seven European titles, and an Olympic gold in 1996 in the 52-kilogram weight class, which is really small. He was only five foot one, I think. Yeah, 52 kilograms. That's uh, like 115 pounds. 115. Jeez. Yeah, that's small. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the reason I want to bring him up anyway, David, have you heard or seen of the movie Foxcatcher? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Okay, so I actually haven't seen it. I was going to watch it, but then time constraints, and I will watch it someday. I'll do the quick rundown for you. Yordanov, he moved to the U.S. in the 90s to train at Foxcatcher Farm, and it was owned by this guy named John DuPont. So he was part of the DuPont family, you know, the DuPont Corporation. So he had a lot of money, and DuPont was a big fan of wrestling. He built wrestling facilities at this farm, and a lot of amateur wrestlers would come and train and be on the fox catcher team hopefully qualify for the olympics so one of the wrestling coaches there was dave schultz who was an olympic gold medalist world champ a lot of accolades in 1996 schultz was murdered by dupont just not going to get into that read about it yourself if you're interested dupont would die in prison in 2010 and he left 80 percent of his estate to valentin yordanov that's crazy and there's like no relation or anything like that or he wasn't like you know dating one of his daughters or something i don't know <laughs> well the will went to a court case i think the niece and nephew of dupont like they challenged it and uh no it, it held up yordanov got <laughs> most of the estate that's insane yeah so yordanov's not in the movie to my understanding it follows dupont and dave schultz as well as dave schultz had a brother mark who's also an olympian and <laughs> world champ uh but steve carell he played dupont and was apparently nominated for an oscar and then Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo are the Schultz brothers. So star, star-studded cast. Definitely need to look into it. Oh, and when looking up wrestlers from Bulgaria, Andre the Giant came up because apparently his dad's from Bulgaria, but he was born in France. So uh, not going to count him here. Just found that cool. Did you know that Andre the Giant, he lived in North Carolina too? Oh, really? Yeah, like somewhere between Raleigh and Charlotte. Like he had a farm in some small town. 
Oh. Yeah. What do you know? <laughs> okay, let's talk weightlifting, though. Bulgaria's made quite a few contributions to weightlifting. The Bulgarian bag, if you've ever gone to a gym, you might see this. It kind of looks like a giant neck pillow that you'd see. You know, you know go on an airplane, you got the neck pillow. This is basically that, but leather clad and uh, filled with sand and a lot of it. It's heavy and uh, used for a variety of exercises. You can put it with straps over your uh, shoulders, can carry it in front of you. Just a convenient thing. Make yourself stronger. The Bulgarian split squat was also a popular exercise. It's basically you have one foot elevated behind you as you do a squat. Typically, you do it with weights. But uh, yeah, two cool things. Bulgaria is known for a lot of weightlifting. Yeah, I've never seen a bag in person, but I've done I've done the split squat. Oh, yeah. It's it's funny, you know, things that world influence there is with, I guess, sports in general. But, you know, stuff like weightlifting, it's like there's always something from some, somewhere else and think people have tried. And it's crazy how they can become normalized, even though, you know, they're kind of from far away. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, we don't think about it as much as like weightlifting. To some, it's a sport. To most, it's just, oh, I'm keeping in shape. No, Bulgaria, they treated it like a sport. They won a lot of Olympic medals. Got to mention the Bulgarian training method. So this guy, Ivan Abadajiv, he was the head of Bulgarian weightlifting when they were the dominant force in the sport in like the 70s and 80s. So he developed this system. Athletes would train at 95% or higher of their max weight twice a day, six times a week. I think the exact numbers might vary, but the basic premise is that you're pushing your body to this higher threshold than it's used to. And once you get used to that, you find out, oh, my body can be pushed even further. So some people would call it harsh, but it was effective. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. As long as you avoid injury, I feel like that's like the big thing, right? You know, if you're doing if you're going that hard almost every day of the week. But if you avoid injury, I guess, you know, your bones get a lot stronger. I wonder how much mental is a part of it you know and if it's like oh i can do this every day i think part of it too is just training your body like you get used to it in training so then when you come and you do that performance like oh i know that i can handle this weight mentally i guess that is an advantage like you've done it multiple times you like practice makes perfect repetition repetition just doing at that heavy weight yeah it does seem extreme but hey results speak for themselves hopefully their body's held up (laughs) (laughs) true true Sports injuries, they be, uh, they be hitting different when you get old. <laughs> mm-hmm. So moving on, another sport that we haven't talked about on here before is gymnastics. So again, in the 80s and a bit into the early 90s, Bulgaria had a generation of rhythm gymnasts called the Golden Girls of Bulgaria. So they were the dominant nation at both the European and the world level. Like in the Olympics, there's no overall winner to these competitions, but they had the most medals in four of the five world championships in the 80s every other year. And they won gold for the group all around event at all five of those events that decade. So obviously, they have a lot of successful gymnasts to talk about from that era. But Bianca Panova stood out the most. First person to sweep the world championships. All five of the individual events, she won gold. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, that's crazy. It's, I think it's happened two more times since then. But first one... And then your country is winning as well. I think we got to bring up the population again here. Bulgaria, late 80s, like 1990, we said 9 million people. Soviet Union were finishing second at a lot of these events. They had like 220, 230 million people. It's like 20 times the amount or more. Yeah, it seems insane. You know, like it, it doesn't seem real. 
typically big population tends to result better athletes just because your sample size is bigger. You know, you have more opportunity to get those freaks in nature because say what you will about athleticism, but it runs in families, you know, like it, it is something that is very much something you can seek after genetically, you know, like you can yeah, definitely yeah. be like, I'm going to marry another athlete and we're going to have kids that are good at sport. So just, it's kind of mind boggling. I, I, uh, there must be something in the water over there, you know? <laughs> yeah. They definitely made their presence known. And I mean, they're still going today in all these sports. It's just not quite to the extent of dominance as it was in the eighties. But speaking of Bulgaria in the eighties, Stefka Kostadinova, she set the world record for women's high jump in 1987. The height was 2.09 meters, and even now, 30-plus years later, that still stands as the world record. Yeah, that's insane. That's like six, almost seven feet. Like, less than seven feet, but closer to seven than to six. That is insane. Like, I... How? And the fact that nobody's touched it since then. Like, in an era where I feel every Olympics are looking at new records being set in a lot of I mean I mainly watch the uh the track events and it seems like world records are constantly being pushed as humans reach their physical max potential but in the high jump I think men's high jump too it just I think that record was set in the 80s too um if you know about the high jump and you want to email us please tell us why have these records not been broken yeah I'm excited for and I don't know who this person is I don't remember uh, but the javelin like world record and how it's never going to be broken again just because like they changed some rules and like it's impossible to get. I think they changed the way javelins are made and like it's impossible to get that number again. I'm, I'm excited for that in the future. But yeah, so I just did the convert to 2.09 meters is 6.85 feet. A uh, well above her height. She jumped off the ground and cleared a bar. Olympians, it's different. Yeah, they, they built different. <laughs> Before we move on to the team sports and all the ball sports there's one last guy that we need to mention but i'm going to pass this one to you david because you know a lot more about him yeah um if you're a big esports fan more specifically league of legends uh there is a very famous european support they they go by their in-game name they don't ever get mentioned by (laughs) their like (laughs) you know birth name or whatever but uh his in-game name is hillisang for a while considered the best support in europe has kind of fallen. Uh, he's you know he's getting old. Twenty seven. You know esports. That's pretty much ancient. I mean, like you you're really at the end of your career. He used to play for an organization called Fnatic, who was the first team to win worlds ever. And now he's off their team. He got. I don't know if he was let go or if his contract expired. But now he's with Mad Lions, who is another good team. So uh, we'll see what he does in the future. But um, yeah, I was randomly looking up league players and saw he was Bulgarian. So I figured uh, we'd mention it. Yeah. Since we covered League of Legends, like it was over a month ago now. Yeah, I, I watched that final though. If, if you're not into esports, League of Legends, you don't have to know a thing about it, but the commentators get into it, the crowd gets into it, it gets exciting. Yeah, shout casting is something I hope eventually makes its way to like more traditional sports because listening to the casters just get so excited. You know, you're excited too. You know, you don't even have to necessarily see what's going on. If you just hear it, you know, you're just like, ah, I want to, I want to know what's going on. And so I don't know, one day, one day we'll have really exciting casters. I guess like the closest thing right now is the stereotypical, like Mexican commentators, you know, when they just go crazy in there for goals and stuff, you know, that's probably the closest we have to it. Yeah. I was about to, that's probably the closest. <laughs> well, Hey, we're bringing up soccer now. Soccer, Segway. whatever you want to call it. It's the most popular sport in Bulgaria. So their domestic league is the first professional football league or Bulgarian first league, 
whatever you want to call it. So 1948 was their first year. Though they had different league structures before then, but you know, world wars and whatnot, kind of 1948's the starting point for us. So today, they're probably middle of the road talent wise, as far as European leagues go. Uh, they recently went from 14 teams to 16. I think 2022 is their first season with 16. But David, stop me if you've heard this one before. It's historically been dominated by two teams from the same city, but then there's a new third team with money that kind of stole the show. I feel like that's the only narrative that we hear about when it comes to these smaller countries and their football leagues, to the point where I'm starting to worry if the simulation stuff is true, because they're just like running that same story over and over again, you know? Yeah, seems like most countries you've covered, it's two teams from the same city. This is actually the same exact scenario as Austria. The two Vienna teams were the dominant ones for a while. Then Red Bull Salzburg comes along and just dominates. It's the same thing in Bulgaria. So our two teams from Sofia, the capital, we have CSKA, that stands for Central Sports Club of the Army. They've won the most league titles with 31, and they've made it the furthest in European competition out of the Bulgarian clubs. They made it to the Champions League semifinals twice. Uh, This was back in, I think, the 60s and 80s they did it, and it was called the European Cup back then. Their arch rivals are Levski Sofia. They've won 26 league titles. Mentally, CSK, they're the red team. Levski are the blue team. Um, There are other clubs based in Sofia, but CSK and Levski being the two most successful, they're the biggest rivals. And their match is called the Eternal Derby. You know, two teams, similar success levels, same city. They don't share a stadium, but they play these matches at the national team stadium. So it's a big matchup. I believe it's considered like one of the most heated in Europe. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw CSKA and Levski, and I guess for that matter, all the other clubs also dabble in other sports and individual athletes too. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the European way of going yeah, about this. Yeah, I guess that's normal over there. That that just happens. Um, very not normal here in the in the United States, but I guess, you know, our hard capitalistic society won't let, you know, <laughs> you know you're not going to have like a team that's like, oh, they're an NFL team. They can, they're allowed to make a team that's exactly the same in another league. It's something that I guess is probably normal, but it's always like very surprising to me. Yeah, I think the best, the most common example I think of is Barcelona because their basketball team is really big. And Real Madrid too, their basketball team. Luka Doncic played for them before coming to the US. As for the third team from Bulgaria, the new guys on the block are called Ludogorets. So they got a new owner in 2010. They were promoted to the first division for the first time the next year. And since then... They've won every single league title, 11 straight as of the time of courting. So the 2022-23 season. That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? I guess, is it just, I don't know if you know, so I'm just asking this question, but is it just a new per, new owner coming in with lots of money and he's kind of throwing money at, at the league or at the team to dominate the league? So it's not like a foreign owner. He is a Bulgarian. I think he's like a pharmaceutical guy. Mm. So, uh. Yeah, he he invested in the club. Lots of money coming in there. I don't think it's the same level as like the Red Bull clubs or, you know, Manchester City or Newcastle being bought by wealthy, uh, I guess, royalty in some cases. Now, it's not quite the same extent. I mean, Bulgaria is not the strongest league to begin with. So any amount of money that you're throwing at a team is going to be significant. I think it's just crazy that they've won 11 straight. And like every single year they had no stumbling. They just immediately dominated. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy because, you know, injuries happen, you know, stuff like that happens. 
it's so hard to be that good for that long. Um, and somehow they've done it. Uh, I guess let's see how long they can keep it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully someone challenges them. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But um, my little tidbit on Ludogorets, what I remember them from. So they've been competing, being the champions of Bulgaria. They're pretty much regulars at the Europa League, but they've played in the Champions League a couple times. And I'm, as an Arsenal fan, I remember sitting, it was in some sort of math class. Ludogorets and Arsenal were playing each other in the Champions League. Ludogorets scored the first two goals. Arsenal came back to tie it 2-2. Two to two, And then like 88th or 89th minute, Mesut Ozil has one of the best goals that I've ever seen. Um, long ball, goalie came off his line. Ozil chips him and then the defenders rushing to try to block the goal. Like he just dribbles around them, fakes a shot. It, it was one of the coolest things I've seen. And I'm just watching on my phone in the back of the class. I'm like, can't make a sound. Ah, uh, Yeah, that's what I remember Ludogorets for. So you'll always be in my mind in some form. I think I've seen that goal. Yeah, na- absolutely. Filthy. Yeah, yeah. disgusting. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the international level. I'll go ahead and say it. Bulgaria have qualified for the World Cup for they've done it seven times, in fact. But David, how far do you think the men's team has gone in the tournament? I feel like, well, I think making it out of groups is hard for most countries, especially if you're not a big country. So I'm going to say they I'm going to say they've never made it out of groups. So they did once. Oh, so crazy story. So out of their seven appearances, only once did they even manage to win a game. But that was in 1994. And what did they do? They advanced all the way to the semifinals. Uh, They lost to Italy in that semifinal matchup, and then they lose to Sweden in the third place match. So they finished fourth. But yeah, the the only time that they won a game, they won three, go all the way to the semis. And then um, they would go back to the World Cup in 1998. Again, wouldn't win a game. And they haven't been back since. That's crazy, though. I mean, you know, uh, what? What if you're going to get if you're going to go to the next stage, you might as well just win three more games. (laughs) <laughs> and then be in the game to play for the finals um, and just come up short. Uh, that's that's crazy. Kind of a bummer, though, that they haven't been able to at least s- somewhat mimic that performance. Crazy, though, that it took them six World Cup attempts to even get a win at the World Cup. Yeah, that is actually crazy, too. Yeah. <laughs> Winning's hard. So a big part of their success at that World Cup was Hristo Stoichkov. So he was a forward. He could do it all. He typically played as a support striker, so a creative type and a goal-scoring type. The guy that you want on your team, essentially. Uh, So he was top scorer at the 94 World Cup. He had six goals, and he would end up winning the Ballon d'Or that year, which is the award given out to best player in European football. Only Bulgarian person to have won the award. At the club level, he was part of the dominant Barcelona squad of the early 90s. And yeah, they won the Champions League, I forget which year, but they were really good at that time and he was playing like he was starting for them he was a star i feel like anytime you're playing for barcelona and you're starting you're a bit of a big deal you know you're pretty good yeah some would say you're pretty good at the game yeah unfortunately though for bulgaria in the last 20 years or so they've declined and it's been a pretty rough decline no world cup appearances since 98 no euros appearances since 2004 and the women's team i should mention they've never qualified for either tournament so they haven't really had a star player since Dimitar Berbatov. He retired from international play in 2010. He's the country's all-time top goal scorer, and he won the Premier League with Manchester United, was actually top scorer in the Premier League one of his years with them. Teammates with Antonio Valencia from the Ecuador episode. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. 
True, true. We are making connections all the time. Mm-hmm. Even with the World Cup expanding, I don't see them qualifying anytime soon. Even 2030, I well, that, that's kind of too far ahead to really say. They've been calling up a lot of young players lately, but they're basically unknowns, like teenage level in youth academies. But they had a guy in the Inter Milan Youth Academy, so I don't know. Maybe they have a star in the making. Yeah, I'm excited for the expanded format because we'll see a lot more teams that we don't typically see. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they can patch something together. Yeah, I it's <laughs> I feel like once you're you're out of that kind of level of performance, you know, it's very hard to get back in because the thing that gets you to stay in that are kids watching you play those games on TV or whatever and you know, you performing on the big stage. And so I think once you get out of the rut, it's hard to get back in. Like right now, I think even Bulgaria are underperforming for their standards. Typically when you have these qualifying groups for tournaments in Europe, uh, you'll have like six teams in a group. Bulgaria are like the fourth place team in those. I feel like Bulgaria is no longer even like a competitor. They're just, they're going to have a negative goal difference. Like they are one of the teams that you want to, that you have to beat if you want to qualify. It's unfortunate. Yeah, true. And the declining population isn't helping the situation. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Other ball sports, basketball. It's pretty popular. It's popular in a lot of countries, especially in Europe. Uh, Bulgaria hasn't been a major international player in a long time. But back in the 50s, the women's team were European champs. Men's team, I think they finished second in the Euros one year. But nothing really close since then. A sport that they are still relevant in, though, is volleyball. So volleyball is big in Bulgaria. They're always a major player. World and European level, the men's team have had so many third and second place finishes, never been able to claim a first place finish. So 1970 Worlds looked like their closest. They lost in five sets to East Germany, and that last set was 15 to 13. So you can't get any closer than that. Yeah, that feels real bad. I feel like whenever I talk about volleyball or mention it, it always surprises me, and it maybe shouldn't by now, but it always surprises me how big volleyball is around the world. I guess in my small American head, when it comes to usually the four major sports or, you know, one of them, the rest of the world doesn't really play, and, you know... <laughs> I just, I don't know. It always surprises me. But yeah, I think it's probably like a top five sport. And it every time it gets me how like popular volleyball is. I mean, it's another easy one to pick up. You don't need a lot of equipment. You just need a net and, and a ball, obviously. Also should mention the women's team. They've had a bit more ups and downs than the men's team, but they did win a European championship. Uh, it was in the 80s. They were the host nation. Also added their fair share of podium finishes. But um, at Bulgaria, they're still a heavy competitor in there. Maybe not favorites to win all the time, but they're right there. Can't say that about the other sports we've mentioned. The team sports, I should say. So we're going to wrap things up with arguably the most recognizable name in Bulgarian sports. Not Victor Krum, but tennis star Grigor Dimitrov. I say he's the most recognizable because tennis is also a very global sport. But he's been ranked as high as third in the world rankings. While he hasn't won a major or even appeared in a major final, he did win the ATP finals once which that that and the Olympics are kind of on that next tier of important tennis tournaments. So he's been relevant for a long time. I think he's in his 30s now, so I don't know if uh, a major title is on the cards for him. But hey, the rest of the tennis stars from this era, they're finally getting old, might be getting pushed out the door too. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Whenever, and I feel like I say this a lot, but it's how I feel. So I'm going to say it again. But, you know, whenever someone, they have like one guy who's really good in this one sport, you know, I'm always excited just to see 
what this potentially means for the sport in that country in the future. You know, if we'll have a significant number of more Bulgarian tennis players in the big tournaments. Right now, it seems like the kind of tennis world is on its head. The big, uh, I guess, powerhouses are the, the best players are kind of retiring. They're aging out. You know, there's a few that are still there that are dominant, but it seems like it's going to be an exciting few years. Maybe for men's, maybe in like five or six years, but for women's, you know, it's very exciting. Oh yeah, women's is completely open right now. I mean, Bulgaria's had other notable tennis players in the past. I don't think anyone's won a major title. They did have these three sisters I saw when looking it up. Like they had three sisters all ranked in the top 10 in the world rankings, though none of them won a a major title in singles. There's been other Bulgarian tennis players. Dimitrov, I think he's been the highest ranked and he's the most relevant right now when theoretically the sport's at its most competitive. He also dated Maria Sharapova. So (laughs) more claims to fame. True, true. So I think that's about it on Bulgaria. To put a bow on things, they've had a ton of sporting success in the past, and while they aren't on the same level now, I mean, they still have a presence on the international level, especially in the Olympics. Um, success is relative. The Bulgarian people have every reason to still be proud of what they've accomplished, even if it's not at the same level as before. Yeah, I think where you were was kind of honestly remarkable for being in that spot, you know, and being, you know, a top 10 medal finisher with a small population, you know, that that's crazy. I think as the whole world gets more involved in the Olympics and it kind of becomes a thing that everyone can do, you know, and it's not like a, I can't compete in this Olympic for, for whatever reason. I think the more we go forward, the more you're going to have those, you know, smaller success stories in smaller countries. And I think it's going to be hard to have those kind of situations where you have a small country do so much, but the fact that you did it already, you know, and you, are definitely relevant when it comes to weightlifting and wrestling and volleyball. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, well said. I'm actually I'm just going to pass it off to you. You want to give them the hint at next episode? Yeah, um I've been watching a lot of World Cup, so I think I'm going to kind of stick in that realm with our spin-off episode. I won't go into too much detail, but um it'll be a surprise for you, Bobby. But just uh something I noticed and I asked myself, why does this exist? Why is this a thing? And I have an answer. So we'll talk about that <laughs> next week. I'm completely in the dark. You haven't told me about this yet. That's true. That's true. Um, so after that, you know, we switch between country profiles and spinoff episodes every other week. So our next country profile, we're going to the Pacific Islands for the first time, covering a Pacific Island nation. I mean, a lot, lot to choose from. They are part of Polynesia. It'll be a lot of fun because I don't know the first thing about their sports. I, I have a vague idea, but... It'll be fun. Yeah. Anytime we're going to somewhere completely blind, it's it's always crazy because there's something that we're not expecting. And uh, that's why we do this. That, yeah, true, true. Also, bonus episode coming out in the next day or so. We'll be doing a World Cup knockout round preview. Bobby's going to pick out the whole bracket. He's going to get everything right. It's going to be great. <laughs> but I also want to say we've had listeners from all continents now, not counting Antarctica, but Maybe that'll happen one day. But we've had every continent, which is really cool. So thank you for tuning in. It does mean a lot that we're reaching people from lots of different countries. It's, that's why we're doing this. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, so I guess just to reiterate, thanks for tuning in. Uh, yeah, it's definitely been a fun couple weeks just because every now and then we'll get a new country that you know is listening to us for the first time. F- feel free to reach out, email us, um, tell your friends. That's like the biggest help to us. I don't know. It, it kind of gets me excited about doing it when, you know, yeah. there's someone listening. It, it's honestly just been mind blowing how big that World Cup episode was. So thanks again. We'll see you next time.
Bye. Bye.